0: Hello everyone and welcome to our first CMST210 Interpersonal Communication lesson. I hope that you're doing well and that you're at home and staying safe. Before I begin, I'd like to make a comment in regards to what I wrote on Monday. I said that I wasn't sure how much would be online, though I knew that the first month uh, or so would be online as far as this class goes. I've received word that the entire quarter uh, for this class will be online. So in case that caused some anxiety for you, please know that it will be entirely online. And so um, that I can tell you certainly. Now, because it is online, I do need you to be pretty motivated in accessing the class, going through, seeing what's assigned, what you need to read. A lot of people have... um, communicated with me in regards to the textbook that you need I've sent you some links as well I think one of the best ways to do it that is affordable would be to rent an ebook version of our textbook you can say you need it for you know three months if you have it until June 12th you'll be good Uh, and you'll just have access to that during that time and then what then once the period is up, it'll no longer be available to you. So that is something I would look into if I were you. Now, as far as the lesson goes, I would suggest that you bring up the slideshow that is available under Module 1 on our Canvas site. I'll be going through explaining the concepts if you don't have... um, access immediately to the slideshow it's okay you can still listen to this and look at it later just make sure that you are going over module one in its entirety and as always if you have any questions feel free to email me and i'll get back to you as soon as i can today we start out by talking a little bit about the foundation of communication what communication is and then getting into what interpersonal communication is Communications itself is the art of understanding. It's making sense of the world and sharing that with the people around you. When I ask people in class, uh, what is communication? A lot of people say talking or sharing. And that is correct. There are different mediums or channels that we use to communicate, such as the telephone, um, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. All of these things are communication now, interpersonal communication is the communication between two or more people. Think relationships. While intrapersonal, that's the communication that's happening within yourself. So think of things like self-esteem, self-worth, self-efficacy, um, these messages that you might send to yourself throughout the day. For example, oh, I'm running late to class. You know, I'm I'm lazy or. Um, I did a really good job on my jog today. So uh, yay me. That's intrapersonal, But the entire class will focus uh, primarily on those interpersonal relationships. We'll see different ways that they manifest, whether that be through friendships, work relationships, relationships. Um, Romance, family, all of that fun stuff that we go through because human beings are social beings. We need that connection and that's why quarantine can be so difficult because you don't have that physical connection, though I do hope you're all keeping connected somehow with the relationships that are important in your life. So, we begin with the work of Martin Buber. And Buber has come up with a communication continuum that describes more or less the relationships that we have throughout our lives and throughout day to day interactions and he acknowledges three different sections, right? And this is a continuum, so it's not necessarily one, two, or three. It can be uh, a spectrum, more or less. You can be in between one of these sections. But we have I-it, I-you, and I-thou. And I'll go through each of these and explain what those relationships look like. An I-it relationship doesn't acknowledge the humanity of other people. Generally, it's really just a means to an end. So these could be salespeople, waiters, waitresses, clerical staff. This might be the barista that you see in the morning on your way to work. These people serve a purpose more or less. And you might say good morning and and grab your coffee. Um, There's a transaction perhaps, but it doesn't go much further than that. You might not get to know them very well. You might say the superficial, um, you know, hey, good morning. How are you? Good? Good. Okay. And move on. So I like to say, think of the person at a fast food restaurant or at Walmart. If you don't know them very well and you haven't created a relationship with them, then it's really just an I-it level relationship. There's a transaction that happens, you give them the... Know, soda they um, take your money and then there's that exchange and you move on throughout your day probably not thinking about that person you don't know what struggles they're going through you don't know what makes them happy or what their life's about it doesn't mean that you are treating them as an object but you just go on throughout your day they've served their purpose that's really it and that is the um, I it relationship. Now we move into the I-U territory and here people acknowledge each other as more than objects but they don't fully engage each other as unique individuals. An example of this might be a classmate. Generally, it will start as a as a relationship where you sit next to someone and maybe you say, hey, is this the right class? Or you see that they're drinking coffee and say, hey, is that from Dutch Bros? Um, there's a very small conversation that may not be very deep, but as you move through the quarter together, uh, you talk to each other, someone's sick, you take notes for them, maybe you meet up for studying, they become more of a person to you, you get to know what's going on more of a person, more of a unique individual that you actually know things about. Another example might be a roommate. Maybe you just moved to the area and you're housing with someone that you didn't know before. Most likely your, your relationship is going to start somewhere a bit shallow, a bit superficial. But if you get closer to them, you learn more about them, you spend time together, it could develop into an I-U relationship. Moving on, we have the I-thou relationship. And this is the highest form of human dialogue. This is where we affirm each other as unique and cherished beings. So in applying this continuum to your daily interactions, most likely the person who checks you in at the gym is in I it relationship they serve a purpose you might have had a very friendly interaction with them but it doesn't go any further than that it's surface level you're not invested in what happens in their lives and you move on on the other side of the continuum is most likely a family member it might be one of your parents it might not be your parents that's okay but um I could very well be a, a family member, an aunt, an uncle, and you are close to them. You know about their lives. You know about them. You are invested. You purposely involve them in what's happening, and so you do know what makes them special and, and unique, and you do care about what happens. Now, you're not always going to get along with these people. It is impossible. There will be conflict, but they are an I-thou relationship. So try to think of a time when an I-it became I-you and then, and then transformed into an I-thou. Most of our relationships will start as an I-it and then move up in the, the continuum or the ladder, if you will. So that's Buber's idea of these different relationships that we have throughout the day. I like starting there because it does kind of differentiate the relationships that we have. Of course, when I call my mom, I am speaking much differently, going over different subjects than I would if I were calling to pay my car insurance. It just wouldn't make sense for me to treat the insurance agent like my mom. And this isn't something that we're super aware of, I think, throughout the day, but we realize it when someone treats us differently. So if you've ever... Goodness, if you've ever taken public transportation, ever been on an airplane and someone sat next to you and started talking to you as if you were an I thou, you realize, hey, this is kind of weird. We don't have this relationship. Why are they talking to me about this breakup and how they're going to exact revenge on on their ex? Right. We think that's a little weird. Um, And so generally we act in accordance to this continuum, but sometimes um, people go out of it. And that's when we realize that things are a little off or a little different than we normally see. Next, we move on to the features of interpersonal communication, and we'll go over the following. That interpersonal communication is selective. It's systemic. There is a process involved. We have to Consider personal knowledge and that it is meaning creating, and that we create meaning. So, to begin, communication is selective in that we choose who we communicate with. We see someone and we can either ignore or engage. Think of when you're grocery shopping and you see someone from high school. You have a choice in front of you immediately do you act like you don't see them and go to the next aisle? Or do you decide to approach or wave or nod and acknowledging them? We've all done this. I know I've done this. And so we are selective and you can invite conversation and be receptive to it or you can really just shut it down and not enter in conversation. So we are selective in who we decide to communicate with. Next, communication is systemic, meaning that it takes place within various systems or contexts. And we have to consider three different points here. Number one, what is the relation Number two, what is the situation? And number three, what is the cultural Relation, situation, culture. So what is my relationship with this person that is going to change the way that I decide to communicate with them? Like I said, I'll, I'll treat different relationships according to how close we are. So while I would hug my sister, kiss my grandmother, I'm not going to... Um, hug the person who comes to fix my internet at my house. That is not our relationship. It would not make sense. Um, and so we, we generally adhere to that without thinking about it, but I'm considering the relationship I have with that person. Number two, I'm thinking about the situation. So there is a way that we act when we're in class. And it kind of comes naturally because we, we've seen it before. We know what a classroom looks like but one time I know I had a student begin vaping in the middle of class and I was just looking at him like, are you really? And the rest of the students looked at him like, dude, seriously? And it was very obvious that he was doing something inappropriate for the situation that we were in, right? It's class time. If you're going to vape, go outside. Cool, bro. Like, you know, do your thing. And so it was obvious that what he was doing did not match the situation. We act differently at a funeral than we do a wedding. One involves much more um, dancing than the other. We even dress differently. So we're keeping the situation in mind as well. Does this fit the situation? Is this appropriate? And then number three, the culture that we are operating within the culture we come from, and the culture that our audience comes from as well. I'm always going to keep this in mind because it's going to help me with connecting with that person and getting my message across. My dad traveled to Bangladesh a couple months ago and he asked me for some advice uh, as far as communicating with people and making those connections and there were some things that I told him as far as culture goes that would not apply to the U.S. For example, I told him do not show anyone the bottom of your feet because that is a sign of major disrespect. Don't shake anyone's hand with your left hand. Don't eat with your left hand. Don't um, serve anyone food with your left hand because that would also be seen as disrespectful. If someone were in the U.S. right, from Bangladesh and they were to be served with their left hand, would they be offended? Probably not because they know that this culture is different than the culture that they are from and therefore um, it wouldn't be an insult here. But if they were in a community full of people from Bangladesh, even within the U.S., the rules might be different. And so we always want to consider that. We want to think about that. When it comes to cultures, greetings are different. When I lived in Bolivia, the greeting that was deemed appropriate would be a kiss on the cheek and then a kiss on the other cheek and it would just be one, two. And that was the way that you said hi to everyone, even if they were introducing you to a new person. When I was in Saudi, that would be a correct greeting uh, for women and women and then men and men right? But if it were a man and a woman, no way, the kissing would not happen. In fact, there would not even be a handshake. A handshake would be seen as inappropriate. And so when I was new in Saudi, that's something that I knew, but it was very hard to um, overcome because imagine I am presenting myself professionally. Hi, I'm Melissa. I just came from the US, excited to be here. The way to say hi professionally here would be to extend my hand and, and have a nice handshake. But um, I found myself several times going to shake a man's hand and then realizing uh-uh, I'm in a different culture and I shouldn't do that. I'll add that people are generally very patient when I travel and I'm connecting with new cultures. And so um, generally it is understood, hey, she's learning or she's unfamiliar. If you come from a Mexican family, you'll know that uh, in the culture, there is a different attitude towards greetings. So, if you go into a kind of family meeting or reunion and you don't saludar, which is to greet uh, properly, you're seen as kind of rude, right? No saludaste a tu tía? Ya saludaste? That kind of thing. Like, did you did you say hi? Whereas in other families there might not be the same concept of greeting. So I know if I go to a family thing, I'll give some hugs. I probably won't talk to the weird cousins. I'll just stay away. Um, And that's really it. There's no emphasis on did you go say hi to every single person? But uh, in some cultures, you have to go to every single person. Hi, how are you? Hi, are you good? And if you miss somebody, it's seen as uh, just an offensive kind of thing. So in this culture, you would need to think, okay, yeah, I am with my family, and this is how we do things, so let me go say hi to each person individually. I know that when I was in high school in South America, every morning you would say hi to each other and do the greeting, whereas when I was in high school in the U.S., you'd just be like, hey, I mean, not even really a good morning, just, hey, how's it going, what's up, but uh, in South America, each person, hi, good morning, Uh, and it was just seen as the, the correct thing to do, the proper thing to do, and so if I were to do that in the U.S. at a high school good morning and, and give each person a, a hug or a kiss uh, and say how are you it'd be seen as really weird it'd be seen as too close too intimate and so things do differ as far as culture to culture and what is seen as appropriate and so we're keeping that in mind right the three things that we're keeping in mind are what is my relationship with this person what situation are we in and what is the culture? What culture are we in right now? What culture do I come from? What culture do they, do they come from? Right? If you're speaking to a crowd with a lot of um, Jewish participants, you're probably not going to talk about how much you love bacon. Uh, it just wouldn't be appropriate for the culture at hand. And so... Um, you'd want to consider what is, what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate. And a lot of times, it's not super visible. You might have to ask questions or, or spend time with people in order to know what is seen as culturally appropriate. So a couple things to think about, but that's uh, what we have to think as far as systems go. We also have to be aware that during the communication process, there is always noise. Now, when I say noise, you probably think of something audible, something that you hear. uh, But when it comes to communication, noise is anything that distracts from the communication process. Noise is anything that distracts from the communication process. And there are three kinds of noise that we talk about. Number one would be physiological noise. If any of you get migraines you know what this means. Maybe you are in class and the migraine comes on and you're thinking, oh my goodness, uh, I'm going to be in pain. And it's really hard for you to pay attention to the lesson that's happening because your body hurts. I think physiological some kind of pain there maybe it's super cold in the classroom and all you can think is oh my gosh this is freezing and you're you're trying to get a little warmer that's physiological noise and it is distracting and you're not able to really focus fully on the message at hand next is physical noise or audible so when we're in Moses Lake especially there are planes going over all the time and we hear it And it can distract us. If you've ever been having an important conversation at a restaurant and there's a baby crying in the next booth, that is another example of physical noise. It's audible. You can hear it and it does distract. Lastly, we have psychological noise. And this is anything that's going on inside your head. Maybe you've had a really bad morning and then you get to work and you're still thinking about how you you left things with your significant other. And even though you have a task at hand and maybe your boss or your employee is telling you something about an important thing later in the day, you're thinking, ah, maybe I should call and fix this or you're really in a bad mood, you're not feeling well. So those are the three types of noise that exist. And something really important for communicators to know is that noise will always exist. There's no way to totally rid noise from a situation. And if there were, things might be a little easier, but a good communicator knows it's always going to be there and they can learn how to adapt more or less. So for example, if I am giving a speech and the plane flies overhead and everyone's thinking, wow, that's loud, or maybe someone's cell phone goes off, maybe I pause and I let that pass. And then I continue speaking because I know that people might miss the section of the speech that I'm going over. Maybe I am pitching a proposal and it's really hot inside the room and I can tell that the audience isn't comfortable. Maybe I bring in some fans. As a teacher I try to make sure that the room is comfortable. I know that one winter I was teaching in the gym and it was so cold that my students were bringing in blankets every day to class and I knew that it was really bad because when they came to class they had that extra distraction and that discomfort. And so I was able to talk and, and with maintenance and get that fixed because my students weren't able to really pay attention with that extra factor. So you want to make sure that you're, you're considering that and overcoming that. How do you overcome psychological noise? It's difficult. It's difficult. I know that when I see that and I'm teaching, maybe I'll ask that person a question directly Right, Hey, Jennifer, what do you think about X? Right, Uh, It's not that I'm trying to put them on the spot and embarrass them, but if I can reach out to them and ask them a question, maybe that'll bring them back a little bit. Or maybe I notice someone is is focusing on their phone more than the lecture and, and maybe I use them in an example. Again, not calling them out, but just kind of inviting them to come back into the conversation. If they're going through something difficult maybe it's good to just postpone the conversation. Hey, I can see you're going through something right now. Let's talk about this tomorrow. And if you're closer to that person, right, if maybe it's an I, you, I, thou kind of relationship, maybe you can even see if you can help them out. Hey, I noticed that you seem kind of off today. What's up? And you find out that there's something going on with their kid at school or somebody's sick. And you can say, okay, well, um, I can drive you to this appointment or or whatever. Right? And that really depends on your closeness to the person and your willingness to help them out but just know that this kind of noise exists and that it's important to number one acknowledge and then number two adapt so noise exists it's always going to exist but we can move forward and if I assume that the people that I'm speaking with are just a hundred percent able to listen to me then I'm really really making a mistake there and I'm setting myself up to be misunderstood. I need to make sure that I realize we're all human. Not everyone can pay a hundred percent attention, but there are some things that I can work with in order to get my message a bit clearer and easier to understand. Okay. So that is as far as we go when we're looking into systems. Next, communication is a process right it's ongoing it's continuous it's also irreversible and one of the best examples for this is when kanye called out taylor swift during the awards program uh, and said that Beyonce deserved it. The entire world saw it, everyone thought, wow, that was really rude, that was inappropriate, Uh, but he couldn't take it back. It had already happened, it was out there, everyone had already consumed it, and even though he apologized, it it was already out there. If you've ever sent a message or said something and then afterward thought, oh, why, I wish there were a control alt delete that kind of thing. That goes again with the whole irreversible nature. That doesn't mean you can't make a repair attempt, you can't reach out, you can't apologize. But if you've heard someone say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget, that's kind of what it is referring to. That it happened, it happened, that's it. Now, communication does grow and weaken over time. It fluctuates quite a bit. If you've been in a friendship with someone for 10 years, perhaps you were speaking a lot more at the beginning and then over time it kind of faded and then you spoke to each other again. If you're in high school right now, most likely your best friend that you have today, you probably won't be talking to them as much in 20 years because you go your own ways in life and then maybe you're... Brought together again, and your communication is strong. Then it becomes a bit weaker. There are those fluctuations, and I tell you that because I don't want you to panic when things change. Change is always going to happen, but you can always revive that uh, communication process if you are intentional about it. This happens in in long term relationships and family as well. If you have moved out of your house, maybe after graduating high school maybe you talk to your parents a little less and then you are in your 30s and you're calling your mom every day it happens so just know that these changes are are very much a normal part of the communication process we've talked about how communications is the way that we share meaning with other people but how do we do that we do that through the use of signs symbols and behaviors The language that we use is actually a set of symbols that represent something. The logo on your t-shirt is a a sign. It represents something. It stands for something. The gestures that we use throughout the day, whether we're giving someone a thumbs up or a middle finger, um, is also a sign. It's a gesture. It stands for something. But the important part is that we understand these signs, symbols, and behaviors are arbitrary and that they have no fixed meaning. It wasn't born with meaning. There's no inherent meaning. Uh, Human beings created it and then they assigned meaning to it. So, for example, a gesture that might mean A-OK in the US. You've seen it. It's the uh, thumb and the pointer finger kind of clenched together um, and the rest of your fingers are up. You know, a okay," good, great. Uh, This same gesture actually in Brazil means fuck you. So which meaning is correct? Is it the US meaning or the Brazilian meaning? Neither is correct because signs are arbitrary. Again, um, it's not that that has always meant one thing and it will mean it forever. Even language changes. I always give an example of the McDonald's sign. When you're younger, you see the McDonald's sign, uh, the golden arches, and generally you know what it stands for. It's a restaurant, you get cool toys, there's a play place that you can play in and so even when you're really young and don't know a lot of words you can say McDonald's and and you know what it stands for. Now McDonald's is all over the world. I mean you could tour the pyramids of Egypt and then get a Big Mac if you wanted to. Um, So it is something that is known pretty well but if you go to a jungle in the Amazon right for tribes that haven't had much contact with the outside world and you were wearing a McDonald's t-shirt would they say oh yeah McDonald's i love that fast food restaurant they have cool you know toys and i like the blizzards no they wouldn't know because there's no inherent meaning again Um, Someone had to make that that sign, you know, this is going to stand for McDonald's, it looks like two french fries, it looks like whatever. Um, And then it was spread around and people understood, okay, this stands for this. So human beings create these signs, these symbols and behaviors, and then we share a meaning surrounding them. And so when you change um, groups or cultures or situations, the signs, symbols, and behaviors can be read a little differently. Think of the emojis that you use throughout the day. Think of memes. These are all uh, representations for something, and we use them differently. For some people, the thumbs up means like, okay, cool, we're good. When I send a thumbs up through texting, it generally means that I'm mad and I don't want to talk anymore, you know, kind of like a cool, okay, whatever. Um, and that could be confusing if I were speaking to someone who were to read it as a like, a okay, everything's good. Sounds nice. So something to consider there. As far as emojis go, there's like 10 variations of a smiley face. There's a smiley face with a wink. There's a smiley face. That's, um, a little more smiley than another one. What do they all mean? Nothing. And also quite a bit, And in your groups, and your friend groups, you probably have meanings that you use that you understand that are kind of shared. So a lot of students say, yeah, when I send the upside down smiley face, uh, it means that everything's not okay. Well, I've never used that emoji. So if someone were to send it to me, I wouldn't know how to read it at all. Think of different things like... um, The eggplant emoji, for example, there are several meanings that could take on as well. And so again, signs, symbols, and behaviors are arbitrary. We assign meaning to it. And that means that there is quite a bit of room for misunderstanding or miscommunication. And so we always want to be thinking, is the way that I perceive this perhaps different than the person next to me? And if so, how can I be sure that there is an understanding here? there are different dimensions here of meaning and I look at them in three different ways number one responsiveness number two liking and affection and then three power and control so how do you show someone verbally and non-verbally that you're responsive you give them feedback maybe you say "Uh uh-huh yeah Oh, what next? or you're nodding your head you're you're making eye contact with them you're showing them that you you care you're giving them that feedback to show someone that you like them or you feel affectionate. maybe you get a little closer to them or you look at them in a in a in a special kind of way you smile, perhaps you move your body towards them that can show liking affection might be taking someone's hand or pat, patting someone on the back, you know, hey, did you have a good day? How's everything going? We can show that uh, non-verbally, but also verbally by asking questions or even saying, you know, I really like you or I appreciate our friendship. The words, I love you as well. And then power and control. We see power quite a bit when people wear a uniform, for example, it is a non-verbal way to discuss or sorry, to communicate power. So think of law enforcement officers, think of firefighters, think of doctors as well and this can be positive or negative a lot of doctors for example that deal with children try to appeal less appear less powerful and scary in order to uh, not come across as inaccessible or intimidating so maybe they'll wear mickey mouse on their stethoscope or uh, non-verbally they will they will reach down like they will get on the child's level to appear less um, big and frightening so there is that whereas other places or other professions sorry might take steps to appear more scary maybe they're wearing uh, a mask or they're carrying a weapon something like that that does create meaning. If you think about the way that a traditional classroom is set up, there's quite a bit of uh, power and control that is displayed there. Generally, it's a bunch of desks or tables and they're all facing the front where there is generally a stage or a podium and there's one person behind that. It is saying that the, the teacher, the instructor has a lot of power here. You're supposed to listen to them and they are going to tell you what you need to know. That can be good sometimes uh, to kind of give the focus on someone, but it can be really bad too if you're a student in the back of a classroom who's a bit shy and you're not really sure if you want to participate. It can be kind of easy to just blend in and get lost. And so if you go from high school where generally it is pretty hierarchical you you go to class you sit down you shut up you listen and then to a college classroom where maybe it's in a circle the tables are are positioned in a circle it'll feel different maybe you feel like you're actually gaining more power and that you have some agency there in that classroom and Uh, I do hope that in this class, even though it is online and I'm the one kind of sending out most of the messages, I want you to know that you do have control in where we go over this class. If there's something you'd like me to get into, please send me an email or send me a note and I'll talk about it on the podcast or I'll I'll do a lesson on it. So just know that even though I'm not seeing you in person and I am sending out all these messages, you do still have power, you have agency, and I, I want to hear from you, please. So do know that. So, we're going to end today's lesson by going over some models of communication and looking at the factors involved in those models. We begin with the linear model, which was created by Shannon and Weaver in 1948, and it's where a lot of communication classes begin. In this model, we have a sender and a receiver. The sender is encoding their message in that in their mind, they're thinking, what am I going to say? And how am I going to say it? Right now, as I'm recording this, I am the sender. And in my mind, I'm figuring out what's my message? How do I say it? What comes next? Right? The channel that I'm using is this podcast. The channel is the medium through which the message is transmitted, right? So you know, a book, um, TV, perhaps, Facebook. So I am the sender, I'm encoding, my message is being sent through this channel. I am aware that there is noise happening. You've probably heard my dog who keeps bringing her food to the couch next to me (laughs) and uh, just crunching on it. So that's what that random crunch is if you hear that. Uh, Also she barks sometimes so I know that there's noise in this and it's also not the best quality. I'm just using my headphones to record this because you know what? This is crazy. Uh, I digress though. So uh, I'm sending it through this channel and I know that there's noise that surrounds it. And there's also going to probably be noise in your house when you listen to it. And you are the receiver. You're receiving my message and then in your mind, you're decoding that message. You're interpreting it. What is she trying to say? What does it mean? And this is happening. And this podcast model honestly is pretty linear in that um, I am the sender. I'm sending you're receiving, you're figuring out what it means, but you can't respond back to me right now. We're not talking in person. Uh, you're not able to ask me a question right away. You'll have to email me. There also will be um A way for you to like call in and leave a message that I can answer, and I'll be talking about that later. But this is pretty linear, it's a way to get out a message to a big group of people, but it's missing something, it's missing something very important, and that is feedback. Right? So it's really just me having a conversation with you, and then you have to get back to me later if you decide to get back to me. So, uh, again encoding decoding when it comes to encoding i'm figuring out as the sender how do i say this what's my message and when i'm decoding i am the receiver getting that message and then figuring out what does that mean and i'm interpreting it so encoding decoding sending and receiving the interactive communication model says it's not that there's a sender and a receiver but the sender is both the sender and the receiver and we've got feedback now. It's going back and forth. So I'm telling you something and then you're responding to me. And we've got this, this back and forth kind of thing going on. There's feedback. And feedback might be verbal. You might say, I don't understand. Or it might be nonverbal. You're giving me a look like, what the hell are you talking about? I don't know what you're saying. And then I'm able to address that as we continue. Lastly, the competent communication model takes everything into account. We talked about the importance of context, right? And I told you that that was um, in three points. We're talking about relationship, culture, and situation. In this context, I am number one, not just a sender or a receiver. I am both. I am thinking about the context that we are in. I'm understanding that there is noise that exists and I'm trying to acknowledge and adapt for that and also I'm considering what the best channel is in order to get this message across. So if you are at a concert and it's super loud and you're trying to tell your friend that you're in row 16, you're probably not going to call them and be like, hey hey, we're in row 16, where are you? Because it's super loud. You're going to text them because they can see it super easy and figure it out. If I were to call, or sorry, if I were to try to get a hold of my grandfather to come over for dinner, I'm not gonna send him a text because he'll never see it. He does have that capacity on his phone, but he's not going to see it. I'm not going to send him a message on Facebook, even though we have made him probably five different accounts so he can see our pictures. I'm going to call him and it's not going to be on his cell phone. It's going to be on his home phone because yes, those still do exist. And I know that's the best way for me to get a hold of him and also make sure that he understands. So um, I'm thinking, okay, it's kind of urgent because it's dinner and that's going to be in a couple hours. So I can't send him a letter in the mail. So I'm going to call him because that is a way that he gets messages and can clearly understand them. So I'm thinking about him. I'm thinking about the context. I'm thinking about the channel. I'm taking all of that into account. There are certain scenarios in which there is a channel that is most likely preferred. If you are in a conflict with someone, like your significant other or romantic partner, a lot of times it's really good to speak to that person face to face because you're able to read those nonverbals. When it comes to communication channels, we have communication channels that are information rich and that there are a lot of nonverbals that we can read. And of course, the richest way would be face to face. I'm able to see exactly how you're responding. I'm able to see if you're paying attention. Um, You can tell if I'm being sarcastic with my voice, most likely. There's a difference also between me saying, yeah, I'm okay. Not a problem between me saying that and me saying, yeah, I'm okay. There's not a problem. Like it's obvious that even though I'm saying the exact same words, there's a problem in the second example there. So something to consider. Because even when we're talking on the phone and we can't see someone's face, it's still information rich, more or less, because I'm able to hear the tone. Once we start texting, it becomes a bit less information rich because you're not able to hear my tone of voice. Something good is that emojis can help quite a bit. If I'm trying to send something silly or I'm being sarcastic, emoji, an emoji or a gif can help get that across and make it a bit more clear. On your module, I'm going to be posting a key and peel video. And it's a very funny skit that's also super relevant because I think all of us have texted something that we meant in one way as an encoder, as a sender, and it was decoded much differently. And it's hard to get out of those situations. So always consider what's the best channel for this. And part of the competent communication model is this. I'm always asking myself, how am I doing? Am I being understood? And how can I improve upon this? So maybe you're in a situation where you feel like you're not being understood. You're not getting the message across. Try adapting. Try changing and see if that works. Ask for feedback. If I send an email and i mean it in one way but i'm sending it to 70 students most likely not every student is going to read that email the same way and it really depends on the day they're having their vocabulary their knowledge of who i am as a teacher there are so many different factors and so by reaching out and saying hey are you seeing this message do you understand Do you have any questions that's me trying to check in and so you want to always check in as a competent communicator, that you're getting your message across, that you're doing well, and you're looking for room for improvement. I got a little ahead of myself, but the key and Peel skit is just two men texting, and they're both reading messages very differently than the way they were intended. Very funny, but also something that I think we've all been through before. So I am going to post that for you all. In 1948, and it's where a lot of communication classes begin in this model we have a sender and a receiver the sender is encoding their message and that in their mind they're thinking what am I going to say and how am I going to say it right now as I'm recording this I am the sender and in my mind I'm figuring out what's my message how do I say it what comes next right the channel that I am using is this podcast The channel is the medium through which the message is transmitted, right? So, you know, a book, um, TV, perhaps, Facebook, So I am the sender, I'm encoding, my message is being sent through this channel. I am aware that there is noise happening. You've probably heard my dog who keeps bringing her food to the couch next to me (laughs) and uh, just crunching on it. So that's what that random crunch is if you hear that. Uh, Also, she barks sometimes. So I know that there's noise in this and it's also not the best quality. I'm just using my headphones to record this because you know what? This is crazy. Uh, I digress though. So uh, I'm sending it through this channel and I know that there's noise that surrounds it. And there's also going to probably be noise in your house when you listen to it. And you are the receiver. You're receiving my message and then in your mind, you're decoding that message. You're interpreting it. What is she trying to say? What does it mean? And this is happening. And this podcast model, honestly, is pretty linear in that um, I am the sender. I'm sending You're receiving, you're figuring out what it means, but you can't respond back to me right now. We're not talking in person. Uh, you're not able to ask me a question right away. You'll have to email me. There also will be um, uh, a way for you to like call in and leave a message that I can answer. And I'll be talking about that later. But this is pretty linear. It's a way to get out a message to a big group of people. But it's missing something. It's missing something very important. And that is feedback. Feedback. Right? So it's really just me having a conversation with you, and then you have to get back to me later if you decide to get back to me. So uh, again, encoding, decoding. When it comes to encoding, I'm figuring out as the sender, how do I say this? What's my message? And when I'm decoding, I am the receiver, getting that message and then figuring out what does that mean, and right? I'm interpreting it. So encoding, decoding, sending, and receiving. The interactive communication model says it's not that there's a sender and a receiver, but the sender is both the sender and the receiver. And we've got feedback now. It's going back and forth. So I'm telling you something and then you're responding to me. And we've got this this back and forth kind of thing going on. There's feedback. And feedback might be verbal. You might say, I don't understand, or it might be nonverbal. You're giving me a look like, what the hell are you talking about? I don't know what you're saying. And then I'm able to address that as we continue. Lastly, the competent communication model takes everything into account. We talked about the importance of context, right? And I told you that that was um, in three points. We're talking about relationship, culture, and situation. In this context, I am number one. Not just a sender or a receiver, I am both. I am thinking about the context that we are in. I'm understanding that there is noise that exists and I'm trying to acknowledge and adapt for that. And also, I'm considering what the best channel is in order to get this message across. So if you are at a concert and it's super loud and you're trying to tell your friend that you're in row 16... You're probably not going to call them and be like, hey, hey, we're in row 16. Where are you? Because it's super loud. You're going to text them because they can see it super easy and figure it out if I were to call or sorry if I were to try to get a hold of my grandfather to come over for dinner I'm not going to send him a text because he'll never see it he does have that capacity on his phone but he's not going to see it I'm not going to send him a message on Facebook even though we have made him probably five different accounts so he can see our pictures I'm going to call him and it's not going to be on his cell phone. It's going to be on his home phone because yes, those still do exist. And I know that's the best way for me to get a hold of him and also make sure that he understands. So um, I'm thinking, okay, it's kind of urgent because it's dinner and that's going to be in a couple hours. So I can't send him a letter in the mail. So I'm going to call him because that is a way that he gets messages and can clearly understand them so i'm thinking about him i'm thinking about the context i'm thinking about the channel i'm taking all of that into account there are certain scenarios in which there is a channel that is most likely preferred if you are in a conflict with someone like your significant other or romantic partner, a lot of times it's really good to speak to that person face to face because you're able to read those nonverbals. When it comes to communication channels, we have communication channels that are information rich and that there are a lot of nonverbals that we can read. And of course, the richest way would be face to face. I'm able to see exactly how you're responding. I'm able to see if you're paying attention. Um, You can tell if I'm being sarcastic with my voice, most likely. There's a difference also between me saying, yeah, I'm okay. Not a problem between me saying that and me saying, yeah, I'm okay. There's not a problem. Like it's obvious that even though I'm saying the exact same words, there's a problem in the second example there. So something to consider. Because even when we're talking on the phone and we can't see someone's face, it's still information rich, more or less, because I'm able to hear the tone. Once we start texting, it becomes a bit less information rich because you're not able to hear my tone of voice. Something good is that emojis can help quite a bit. If I'm trying to send something silly or I'm being sarcastic, emoji, an emoji or a gif can help get that across and make it a bit more clear. On your module, I'm going to be posting a key and peel video. And it's a very funny skit that's also super relevant because I think all of us have texted something that we meant in one way as an encoder, as a sender, and it was decoded much differently. And it's hard to get out of those situations. So always consider what's the best channel for this. And part of the competent communication model is this. I'm always asking myself, how am I doing? Am I being understood? And how can I improve upon this? So maybe you're in a situation where you feel like you're not being understood. You're not getting the message across. Try adapting. Try changing and see if that works. Ask for feedback. If I send an email, and I mean it in one way, but I'm sending it to 70 students, most likely not every student is going to read that email the same way. And it really depends on the day they're having, their vocabulary, their knowledge of who I am as a teacher. There's so many different factors. And so by reaching out and saying, hey, are you seeing this message? Do you understand? Do you have any questions? That's me trying to check in. And so you want to always check in as a competent communicator, that you're getting your message across, that you're doing well and you're looking for room for improvement. I got a little ahead of myself but the key in Peel skit is just two men texting and they're both reading messages very differently than the way they were intended. Very funny but also something that I think we've all been through before so I am going to post that for you all and the entire goal of this class is for you and I to become more competent in communicating to enrich the relationships that we have now and the relationships that we'll have in the future. I will be uploading a video on something called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow was an American psychologist who in the late 40s, I believe, created a theory that talked about the needs that we have as human beings. And it's called a hierarchy because you have to meet the bottom needs in order to get to the next level, essentially. And we start out with physiological needs such as food and water. And we move up to safety like shelter and then social belonging, self-esteem. And the very top of the period is self-actualization. A lot of you have probably already heard about this pyramid And maybe you've had examples before. And so I'm just going to post a video on that that I feel explains it really well. But it is a very important part of this first chapter. Uh, And I'll leave you with a quote from Abraham Maslow that talks a little bit about reaching self-actualization. And it says this, What a person can be, they must be. This need we call self-actualization. The next is, a musician must make music, an artist must paint, a a poet must write if they are to ultimately be at peace with their self. So I hope that gives you something to think about. Again, I'll be posting the video. That's it for our first lesson. Please make sure that you are reading that first chapter and that you've made your introduction video. And... That's it for lesson one. So in the meantime, remember to stay cool, calm, and collected. And wash those hands. Peace.